Welcome to the Animal Welfare Junction. This is your host, Dr. G, and our music is written and produced by Mike Sullivan. Today we're going to be discussing a case that was just in the news recently about an animal cruelty case up in Trumbull County. So with us is Diane King, the Chief Humane Officer in Trumbull County. Welcome, Diane, and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Can you first let people know what is your position, what your job is about, what your day-to-day duties are? So my official position is Chief Humane Officer. My day-to-day varies, you know, there's always something new, but my duties, um, I would say, are to enforce the Ohio Revised Code Section 959, Animal Cruelty and Neglect Laws and Abandonment which is a lot. We have a lot of cruelty happening in Trumbull County. So that would be basically what I do on a day-to-day basis is enforce that revised code. And for those that don't know where Trumbull County is, it's Northeast Ohio. So the area of Youngstown, Ohio. So the case that we're going to be talking about today is Trumbull County versus Charles Park. And one thing that was interesting is that Several weeks before you reached out to me, a local veterinarian had received some concerns from shelter volunteers and through the huge grapevine of animal welfare, it got down to me. Somebody asked if I could look into it. And I explained to them that as a forensic veterinarian, I am not a law officer. So I'm not somebody that can come in and investigate or prosecute I am somebody that is used as a consultant or to do examinations, to do evaluations, but I have to be invited into these cases. People watch CSI and you get into that CSI effect and it's like one person that does everything all the way from the very beginning to all the way to the, to the very end. And in veterinary forensics, I am kind of lucky that I get to do a lot of it, right? So I can go into a crime scene. I can go and take the pictures and do all of that. And then if the animal is deceased, I get to bring it back and perform the necropsy and send out the labs and analyze the labs. And then I get to do the report and I get to go to court. So I get to do a lot of the things that human CSIs cannot do because they have to do little bits and pieces. But even though I can do all of those things, I'm still not a law officer. So I'm still not somebody that can start a case. So then a little bit later, I received the information from you as far as this case. So it was nice to be part of it since somebody had reached out to me. Can you tell us about the initial complaint, how this whole thing started? Yeah, and then I wasn't aware of that. So that's strange how it just came full circle, you know, back to you anyway. So yeah, the complaint came in, actually, the chief executive dog warden at the Trumbull County Dog Pound reported it to me as a humane officer. So that's originally how I got the complaint. And she was doing her due diligence as a mandatory reporter of cruelty and neglect. Um, So it was brought to her attention by her staff that dogs were not, it didn't appear that they were getting food and water on the weekends when Charles Parks was working. So the chief executive dog warden looked into their cameras on a couple of different occasions when Charles Parks was assigned to work on those weekends. And she watched the surveillance video and did indeed find 
that he had not done that. So that's, she made the official complaint to me. What happened after, after the complaint? Because I know that, yeah, there were, there was an occurrence in April that was recorded and then an occurrence in May that was recorded. And from what I understand from what you guys had sent me is that you could see him there, but he was just not doing his duties. Is that correct? Correct. So I watched several hours. It was probably close to four hours of footage on two separate occasions where I was able to identify Charles Parks and see him come into the dog pound, clock in. And on the one occasion, most of the time just sat at the front desk on his cell phone. He did wander back and forth a couple of times to the back area of the dog pound where the dogs are housed. But again, that's all on camera as well. So you can see him walking back there for a minute and then walking back up front. On that occasion, you can just see him clock out. On the other occasion, you can see him walking by the kennels. The dogs are jumping up. It's my opinion that they are probably hungry and thirsty. He can actually be seen going in the back and grabbing a case of food and setting it on top of one of the kennels where the dog is pawing at the, you know, the food on top of the kennels. But it's clear in the video that he did not provide food, water, or medication. And the kennels were not being clean, right? Like the dogs would have been sitting in whatever filth, feces, or urine that they had deposited through the weekend. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not able to see into the kennels to see what's in there. But obviously you can see on camera that he didn't clean. So they had to have had urine and feces inside the kennels. It's just, you're not able to see it on the video. So what happened after that initial complaint? After the initial complaint, I, I ended up going to the dog pound so that I could interview any of the witnesses that might have information. I interviewed four employees, including the chief executive dog warden and one volunteer to get their side of the story. One thing that I asked each and every person that I interviewed was, if you're working on a, a Saturday or a Sunday, what's the sole purpose for you to come in to, to work that day? Every single person that I interviewed said, well, if you're working on a Sunday, you're there to clean water, feed and give medications. It was clear to me that everybody knew the duties that they were to perform on that, that Sunday. So it was my understanding from my interviews that staff feeds, waters, cleans, medicates on Saturday around noon, and then they go home for the day. The following day, you know, is one staff person that comes in and takes care of the animals. I asked the staff at the pound if they had ever seen Chuck Parks perform his duties by cleaning kennels, feeding the dogs, watering the dogs, and administering medication. And they all said that they had performed those duties alongside him at one point. So that told me that he knew how to do his job. He also knew that on Sunday, he was the sole provider to those animals as well. One of them said that, yeah, he trained me how to do those duties. So he definitely had the capacity to know what he was supposed to be doing. He's been seen doing it before. He's taught the process as well as he knows why he's there on specific weekends to provide the animals with the basic necessities. So through my 
interview process, I was able to establish that's the sole purpose for anybody being there on a Sunday. I was able to determine that he failed to do his duties through the interviews. And they had mentioned that they saw this in the past as well. Um, and it was brought to the attention of the chief executive dog warden, but unfortunately their camera systems were down. So I was not able to prove anything other than on the two occasions that I was able to have video surveillance of. Some of the dog pounds that we work with have as many as 50, 100 animals. A big question people have is like, how, how busy is it? How many animals? How many dogs did he have to care for? So the Trumbull County Dog Kennel only holds, it depends on what time of year it is. I'm pretty certain um, they have 14 indoor-outdoor runs. And then in the summer months, they have runs outside, and I believe there's six of them. I believe they had about 20 dogs at the time that he was scheduled to work on those two different weekend shifts as the sole caretaker. So at most, it would be about 20 dogs. So it's not something that would take a ridiculous amount of time to feed on water. So one person right. clearly could have done it in a, in a relatively short period of time. Right. And that is something that I asked each staff member too. How long does it take you to clean, water feed, medicate if you're at capacity? I believe all of them said between an hour and an hour and a half, but they get paid for four hours. So I believe he clocked in right around that and clocked out hour, hour and a half. So he clocked in in the amount of time that it should have taken him. Correct. Just didn't do the duties that he was supposed to do during that time period. Correct. So after, after I interviewed the staff and the one volunteer that was there, I, I did make my way over to the suspect's house, which is Charles Parks. I did go over to his house. That was a bit strange to be quite honest. And also I want to point out that this is, this is a person that I worked with, which is extremely difficult and disappointing to say the least, but I made my way to his house. And as I'm knocking on the door, I notice um, a truck going down the road and I always knew he goes by Chuck. I always knew Chuck was driving a red truck. So I thought, hmm, that looked like Chuck, but he has a red truck. And in the back of the truck were dog kennels. Um, and he went down the road and around the corner. And I thought, okay, well, that's weird. I actually went to his house first and then went to the dog pound and then went back to his house to interview him. I went back the second time and same thing happened. He, he actually saw me. I was in full uniform bulletproof vest that says humane officer on the back knocking on his front door and he does know who I am and he drove by again never pulled in the drive or anything I had his cell number because I've worked with him over the years on different things and I called him didn't answer so I ended up going back to the house with another officer who was in a different vehicle but I swear he was in the backyard we could hear the dogs, his dogs in his backyard barking and still didn't make any contact with them. I, I believe he was back there. And lo and behold, that truck is spotted again. And that's when I called his cell phone and he offered to meet me up at McDonald's about 10 minutes away. 
He said that he had just left for a, a doctor's appointment, but he can meet me. So myself and the one of the other officers, Officer Markle, when we met up at McDonald's where I was able to finally make contact with him and question him. At the time of the questioning, he said to me, well, because he already knew that this was happening um, because his boss, the chief executive dog warden, had already questioned him about it, asking him, why didn't you clean, feed, water, medicate? His response to her was he just sat there in silence. He didn't even respond. But when I did question him, he said, do you know what's been going on? And I said, no, you know, enlighten me. And he proceeded to tell me that his dad had died the year before and he was struggling with that. So I asked him the same question. If you're working on a Sunday, what's your purpose for working on a Sunday? And he said, well, to feed the dogs, give them water, clean and give them their medicine. I said, okay. I said, you didn't do that on two separate occasions that I have video of. So can you explain that to me? And he said that on the one occasion he left and intended to go back, but, and he said that he has done that often where he will leave and he'll go back later because he'd rather feed them later in the day. So I made a public records request and obtained all of his time cards. And I was unable to find anywhere that he left work and went back later and clocked back in um, to feed and water, clean and medicate. That's part of what we have to do, debunk any defense that they can come up with. So that was one of his defenses that we were able to challenge that I had his time clock. So it didn't happen. So even though there's no camera, no video footage showing that he was there or he wasn't there, there is time clock evidence that what he was saying he had done in the past had not occurred ever. Correct. Right. Um, but he said he was in a bad way, upset over the death of his dad, which was a year ago at that time. And he went home and fell asleep and didn't wake up until 11 o'clock. And then he woke up at 11 and realized that he just never went back. But he didn't make any attempt at that time, you know, once he, if he did wake up at 11 o'clock, why didn't you call your boss? Why didn't you call anybody else or go run down and feed them? Um, so, you know, he, he knew at that time that he didn't feed, but he still didn't do anything about it. So you interviewed him and he clearly, he understands his duties and he understands what he's supposed to do. And he seems to understand that he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Did he seem upset or was it just kind of nonchalant? It just didn't happen. So, I mean, there, that's it. No, I mean, he was very nonchalant and I don't know if this case would have went a different direction had he like maybe when the executive warden questioned him and maybe, I don't know if he would have, I don't want to say break down, but if he would have possibly broke down and said, I, I know on, I did that on those two occasions. I realized it later. I'm struggling. Um, you know, it doesn't make it okay. I don't know what, how we would have proceeded. Um, but he, to me, he did not express any remorse for not doing that. And I, 
I really don't know how anybody can be designated as a dog warden to take care of animals and to go in and physically look at the dogs. Because in the one video, you can see him walking down the aisle, looking into the cages. And anybody that's ever fed dogs, I mean, my own dogs do this. They're excited for their food. And to know that they haven't eaten in at least 24 hours at that point and to not provide them with food is that that just makes me question your integrity. I don't know how anybody can do that, especially somebody that's held to a higher standard. He's a dog warden to, to not provide that food and water and clean up and that it's just not OK. Yeah, like he would be somebody that we would look up to go after somebody else that is not providing these minimal needs to an animal, right? So, and yeah, like you, to your point, the animals develop what's called conditioning, classical conditioning, which, you know, people that that know about psychology and the experiment with Pavlov and the bell, he got the dog's condition that the bell meant food. And it got to the point where he rang the bell and the dog started hypersalivating because they knew that there was food coming. So it's kind of the same thing. Like the dogs get used to the fact that, okay, it's been, it's been day, it's been night, it's the next day. So as soon as I hear somebody coming, that person is bringing me food. So they're getting all pumped up, all excited, all happy that they're finally going to get fed and watered and a little bit of attention, what little they can get at that time. And then all of a sudden that doesn't happen. And there's an emotional component to the dog at that point, but there's also a physiological component to the dog because when you're, I mean, we know when we're really, really hungry and we haven't eaten and somebody has food, the acids in your stomach, you kind of get that nauseous feeling and right. you can get that nauseous feeling or that acid buildup and everything can actually cause them to develop digestive problems and they can develop anorexia and then they may not want to eat and that can just lead to a cascade. Now, another issue with this is the medication side of it. So there were two animals that were supposed to be on, on medication, right? Correct. So um, the, the list that I received, one dog was supposed to be on anti-inflammatories because it had a cruciate ligament tear on the knee. So the medication was both to reduce inflammation and also to control pain and discomfort. So the dog not getting this medication was causing it physical discomfort, but the other dog had been on medication for separation anxiety. And that dog had been at the shelter for a significant period of time and not receiving that anti-anxiety medication. When you are on anxiety medication, it takes a period of like two to three weeks to build up a blood level to that medication so that it works. Once you have that medication in your system, if you cold turkey stop, it actually causes the, the anxiety problems to become worse. And it can cause other problems, other health issues, and it can cause uh, blood pressure dysfunction and a lot of different things. So him not feeding those medications that he was aware he was supposed to be feeding, you know, we're going from just a kind of like a basic neglect almost into a torture um, yeah. you know, so, so that's, I mean, that it's, it's a big deal. You know, you think about, well, he just skipped a day of a meal. Well, there's a lot that goes along with skipping that one day of a meal and such a long period of time for these animals to not eat and not receive medications. 
once you interviewed him and interviewed everybody else, then what was the next step after that? So after I interviewed everybody, and I did forget to mention that when I met him down at McDonald's, he parked in the parking lot two doors down and ended up walking over to the McDonald's. I interviewed him and then I couldn't figure out why he did that. Well, when I went to leave, I kind of hung back and watched and he pulled out in that truck that was driving by seeing me on, on the porch knocking. So that was definitely him. He saw me there and he was avoiding me. Um, but so after I interviewed him, I had to talk to prosecutors. And one of the biggest things that, so what you just said to me about all of these changes, you have the medical and forensic background. So of course, I thought it was just plain awful that he did these things. But the next component of it was really to get your opinion as a forensic vet. And all of the things you just said to me are, I mean, kind of what put the case really together. Um, your veterinary statement really made a world of difference in this case. Because um, of course I can, you know, go to court and talk to the prosecutor and say that, you know, this is awful. Um, you have somebody that is supposed to be held to a higher standard and take care of these animals and they are not. So to have the veterinary opinion that these animals suffered really did make a huge impact on the case. It was, I was very happy to help in this case. Um, and also to show people that the veterinary forensics is not necessarily putting hands on on the issues. It is, this was completely a consultation based on a records review and on what kind of things happened and what the lack of care that he provided could potentially cause to these animals. In communicating with the prosecutor, it was like, we need a vet. We need a vet to give an opinion on whether or not the dogs suffered because we think that they suffered and the court determined that they did suffer. But um, having your statement and your professional opinion weighed heavily on that. So that was extremely helpful. And I, I don't know if there's any other vets out there listening or that will listen, but I can't tell you how difficult it is to do what what we as humane officers do on a daily basis. And I, you know, I appreciate what veterinarians do every day. It's not easy work, but a lot of times you can make a make or break a case with veterinary statement. So a lot of veterinarians tend to shy away from making vet statements. And that is something that I would love to change their opinions of because they are really the key to helping prosecute cruelty and neglect cases. I can go to court all day and say that I think a, an animal suffered, but I'm not a veterinarian. I have a pretty extensive background as far as taking care of animals through the years. I have probably, over, well, over 25 years experience in a professional capacity with animals, but I don't have the CVM. So it's, that is what is needed. And I know a lot of vets get hung up on not wanting to have to go to court. I have been doing this particular position for about four years now. One time I've had a vet called into court because if you write a really good vet statement, 
they typically take a plea deal. If I can convey one message to the veterinarians, it would be that we really appreciate the support when you offer it. Um, because without it, you know, it's, it's hard to prosecute a lot of these cases and a good statement really keeps you out of court. So I would encourage all the vets out there to please <laughs> think about it and help us out. You know, we, we need the assistance as much as we can. And I know a lot of vets get hung up on, well, we don't want to lose a client, but is that really the client you want? And now the great thing is, is that you guys are mandatory reports now. So there's no, well, I don't know if I should, it's, you have to. So that's been a game changer for us. Yeah, I was very happy when that law passed. And I actually went and spoke in favor of passing the law because I have seen instances of veterinarians that have seen really bad things and they yeah. have not reported because they don't want to get in trouble. They don't know if they're doing the right thing or not. Like you said, they don't want to go to court. They don't want to get involved. And that's not okay. Sometimes as veterinarians, we are the first ones to see the first signs of abuse and neglect. Sometimes somebody that is a domestic violence offender starts with the animal, starts with the dog or the cat. So right. it is really important for us as veterinarians to see something, do something. And that law has made it so that we have no, no choice. As long as it's in, in good faith, it protects us. If we ask for an investigation and nothing wrong was done, it does protect us from that. But it also holds us accountable to make sure that, that we are doing something. And then to your point, if you write a good report, you don't have to go to court. I myself can say I have written so many reports and I am prepared to go to court. Right? This is something that I've studied and this is something that I'm interested in and something that I'm passionate about. And I've yet to testify in court. I have gotten dressed and gotten there and been waiting and right the last second, they will take a plea deal because they, they understand, I think that the defense attorneys understand that it is difficult to go against the word of the veterinarian that is going to be discussing why this is neglect, why this is abuse, why this is a problem. So yeah, I too would encourage my fellow veterinarians to, to do more. And just because you're not a forensic veterinarian, it doesn't mean that you cannot do this. Because all that, all that veterinary forensics means is that you're using veterinary medicine in the legal system. B, you don't have to have a master's in veterinary forensics to do it. All you have to do is be a veterinarian, know what's going on, and then write a, write a good report. And that is something that I personally, I am willing to help with this. So if there are any veterinarians out there that want to do it or need to do it, and they're not sure that they're doing it right, they can always reach out to me and I can help walk them through the process of how to write a good report. Because also there are things that are important in a report as far as objectivity, as far as what needs to be in there, as far as the information that needs to be shared so that it is a, it is a good and a viable report. Back to where we were at. So you got the report and then the prosecutor decided to go forward. And one thing is that the prosecutor that was involved in this case is not the Trumbull County prosecutor. So right. how, how does that work in animal law? So I'll explain it the best that I can. But the Ohio Revised Code allows 
for animal cruelty neglect cases to appoint a special prosecutor. You're able to appoint a special prosecutor for your cases. The Animal Welfare League of Trumbull County, we have appointed Jeff Holland and Dana Pinella of Holland and Mearden. They are our special prosecutors, which for us have been a game changer because um, your local prosecutors are really bombarded. They've got murders, rapes, child abuse, domestic abuse. So their plates are full with other cases that they're trying to manage. And sadly, the animals get pushed to the bottom. But like, as you mentioned before, person that's abusing their spouse is most likely going to abuse their dog too. Animal abuse is all linked in with all of it. Um, but if, if you're able to hire a special prosecutor that handles nothing but animal cruelty cases, it's extremely helpful because there's times when we're out in the field and we're not sure what to do on something. We can call them on their cell phone, explain the situation, and they always answer and they always walk us through it. So that's been extremely helpful for us in Trumbull County. Yeah, they're great in that they work with animal cases, so they know animal law, Correct. So it, which is so important because several years ago, I had an instance of a dog that was sexually assaulted by a teenager. Mm -hmm. And the investigator that came in at first said, well, there's nothing we can do about this. And I explained to him, this is a felony in Ohio. Like there's a lot of different things wrong with this, but to start with, this is a felony in Ohio. And they had to go back and look it over and research it over. And then they came back to me and they're like, oh, you know what? You're right. It is a felony. So it's so important to have somebody that understands the laws, that understands what can be done, what cannot be done. And I think that it also saves time because if you if you're trying to move forward with a neglect case, they can tell you, yeah, this is a case that is solid versus no, there's not a good foundation. So not really worth wasting time and effort and money and resources on something that's not going to go anywhere. Right. And that's what we did with, you know, we do that with all of our cases, but this case as well, because they looked at the totality of the evidence and of course, then your statement and this, this was a tough case, to be honest, because it could go to a jury and they might think that it's okay for a dog to go 40 to 48 hours without food and water and meds. But because we had that vet statement, I think it, it really did make a big difference. So yeah, there's, there's so many different aspects of these cases that we're really fortunate to have them. Like you said, they know animal laws inside and out. Um, there's oftentimes that we call them and they give us one little piece of advice that just makes, makes a difference. Yeah, they're, they're pretty amazing. I've, I've chatted with them or emailed a few times and they are very responsive and again, very knowledgeable. So a great resource for, for animal rescues and animal shelters, pounds and, and such throughout the state. So right. So then once they took over the case, what was Charles Parks charged with? So he was charged with four counts. Um, it's 959.131. I know he was charged with a D2 and I believe a D4. 
four counts. And our whole goal was to have this person not be able to be in the capacity that he was in. That was our main goal is we don't want this person to be a dog warden and be in charge of someone's care. Um, like I said, the case was kind of tough, but we felt like we had to take the chance and see if we could win, get a prosecution. And I don't mean that it was tough to prove it's, it's on camera, but if it ends up going into the hands of a jury, you never know what you're going to get. Um, because it, it could come down to their opinions and their feelings versus the actual law. So he was charged, like he was charged with four counts and those were all misdemeanor counts, right? I believe it was like two counts for the not feeding and watering the animals. And then the other two counts were not providing the medications to them, correct? And initially he pled not guilty. He did initially plead not guilty. And even we did come to a plea agreement, he still pled no contest. And then the judge advised him, you understand that pleading no contest is admitting guilt. So he said he understood that. But yeah, the, they are uh, misdemeanor offenses, yes. From the information that I received about the agreement, it looks like then he was charged for the one second degree misdemeanor for companion animal neglect. And then the other counts were dismissed. And it said that they were dismissed at his costs. So does that mean that he was responsible for court costs of all four charges? Yes. So yeah, the, the way the judge sentenced him was that they would dismiss three of the four charges at his cost. So he had to pay all the court costs associated with those three charges that were dismissed. We agreed to go ahead and dismiss three of the four charges because in our experience doesn't really have that much of an impact on the actual sentence. And the judge determined what sentence he got. Some people get angry sometimes with us saying, you know, we should have got a harsher sentence or we should have done this or that. Well, we don't have any control over what the sentence is. That's all up to the judge's discretion. So he ended up getting 30 days jail, which was suspended. He got a $250 fine and the jail time was suspended pending successful completion of six months probation. We did ask for two years probation, but the judge came back with six months. The other condition of the sentence was that he has to have an inspection of his own personal dogs within 45 days. And that's something that you would be doing? Correct. Yes. I have to go out and do the inspection. The case didn't just happen, but the, the outcome just happened. So I'll probably be heading out there sometime soon, and then I have to give a written report to the court. Does, does he breed animals or is it just pets? Um, I'm not sure if he's breeding. I know, I mean, I believe he breeds. I think he likes to train dogs for protection. So he does have dogs housed in his backyard, but he has a six foot privacy fence. So you're unable to really see in there and see what kind of condition they're in which was one of the things we really wanted in the sentencing was let us see his dogs, which the sentencing just happened within the last couple of days. As far as his job, 
So he is a county employee, right? So the county commissioners are overall like his boss. So what was it that they decided to do once the sentencing was completed? I don't know what the policies and procedures are at the Trumbull County level, but um, it is my understanding that he was able to keep his job within the county, but he is no longer a dog warden and he does not oversee the care of any animals within the county at the pound. One of the articles that I saw um, said that he was just moved to more like a groundskeeping type job duties that does not include that does not involve animals so he still has a job just not allowed to work with animals is that right correct and he was put on administrative leave once and then they let him come back and then as soon as i filed the charges they put him on leave so um he's been on leave until recently where uh, I guess, you know, like I said, I don't know the the county policies and procedures, but they did just, they moved him to another department, but he is not a dog warden any longer within the kennel. A lot of people are going to listen to this and any kind of issue regarding animal welfare, people get really heated and people get really upset. So it's like, oh, you should put him in a cage and not feed him. And that's kind of like the, the knee-jerk response that people go into. Um, kind of like the eye for an eye. But I think that overall, all things considered, this was a huge win just because we have a case of neglect and we have an individual that was held responsible, that was held accountable, that has a record now for a misdemeanor animal neglect case. So in the grand scheme of things, this is, it's a small step, but it's a huge step in animal welfare because so many of these cases either don't make it into court, don't even get started, like charges don't get started. And then if something happens, it doesn't get prosecuted properly or it doesn't get taken to completion and then nothing happens. So I'm hopeful that with this case, other counties, other humane officers will see that the system can work and we can hold people accountable for animal neglect and cruelty cases and hopefully start seeing more of these cases. You know, we don't want to see more cases of neglect, but we know that they're out there. So we want right. to see them get prosecuted and get, and something happen to it for, you know, to protect the animals and to protect the communities. Right. And this, I mean, to me, this was a huge victory. It doesn't matter to me the length of the sentence. It matters to me that he was found guilty. So that to me sets a standard that if you're in a position to care for animals and you're not doing your job, it's not just your job. This is the Ohio Revised Code and animals deserve food and water. And I, I can tell you, I've never gone 48 hours without food unless I was hospitalized for some reason. And I, you know, you can go 12 hours into your day and you start getting hungry and you feel that. So to, to not provide them with basic food, water, and meds to me is just, it's not okay. And I'm glad this sets a standard that says this is not okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, it, this, I, I feel that it was, uh, that it was a huge win and him saying no contest. I mean, he knows that what he did was wrong. He's just to the end, not willing to admit it, but right. 
he knows that what he did was wrong. And I'm glad that the that the judge was able to see that and was able to to hold him accountable for his actions. Right. I agree. He he knows, you know, he can spin it any way he wants, but it's not okay. Right. Yeah. To anyone out there that if you're in charge of animals, whether they be your own or you work in a shelter or anything like that, if something happens that you cannot fulfill your duties, it is your duty to let somebody else know and find help, find assistance, ask somebody for help. Hey, I'm unable to to do this. And these animals are going to go unfed, not taken care of. So I need help. It's not like I just didn't go to the office today and some computer work didn't get done. These are living beings that are dependent on somebody to to take care of them. So yeah, huge win for animal welfare altogether. I agree. I agree. So yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us and for going into all these details. I'm hopeful that again, other counties will be able to hear this and perhaps feel empowered that it matters. And, you know, even if you've tried once, twice, three times, try a fourth time because the, the animals are worth it. And, and in the end, there is a lot at the end of the tunnel. Right. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me and, you know, hear about the case. And also thanks for being an inspiration to other veterinarians who might be afraid to write a statement um, because, you know, it's, it's really needed and it helps the animals more than, more than they can even know. Yeah. Any veterinarians out there that, that need help or that want to learn about writing a case or anything like that, they can always find me on my email, just cujodvm at gmail.com. And I'm more than happy to, to help walk you know, veterinarians through, through the process because it takes everybody coming together to, to make these cases work. As, I, as we said at the very beginning, I myself, there's nothing I can do about a case of neglect like this. It's something that it requires you, your position to do it but then you need my help to do it. So we all just need to work together. And then we need the prosecutor to get involved and and work on it. So it's a team effort. It's not just one person that gets it done. It's a lot of people coming together for the, for the benefit of the animals. Absolutely. It's a definite teamwork. Well, keep doing the good job that you're doing and you know where to find me. And (laughs) thank you so much for sharing, for sharing the story. Thank you for having me.